Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another Forza Italian football podcast. They've been coming thick and fast over the last few days, weeks, whatever you want to say. There's plenty more to come as well, as well as something new on ForzaItalianFootball.com in the terms of the audio sphere, but that will be revealed a little bit later on. I'm Connor Clancy, joined by Kev Pogzowski for, I believe, the 27th time this week. Kev, how are you? I'm, I'm good. Roll on the international break, I say. You're sick of the sight of me after this week? Just, uh, it's, been a, it's been a long week. <laughs> You're supposed to say no when I ask you that question. Oh, of course not. I'm not sick of the sight of you, Connor. <laughs> Never. Okay. Uh, Vito Doria, we've not seen each other as much this week. You you had the, the midweek round off, FIF duty anyway. How are you keeping? Yeah, I'm keeping good. So, um, yeah, glad to... Be back on despite the latest round of results. Always loving these chats. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, you and you and stepped up in in your absence. He, he did a good job, but he's not you, Vito. He will never be you. <laughs> so always remember that. Anyway, the eleventh round of Serie A was, of course, quite good. It wasn't perfect, but it was quite good. I would say it got going on Saturday. Atalanta Lazio played at a two-two draw. Martin Daron scoring in the ninety-fourth minute, I believe it was, to level there. Then. Giovanni Simeone did what he does in Verona at the moment. He scored two, and the Mastini beat Juventus 2-1. I was there for that one, and that was a lot of fun. We will get into it. Torino beat Sampdoria 3-0. Sorry, Andrea Bellotti got his 100th goal in Serie A, which is quite an achievement. Inter started Sunday's games with a 2-0 win over Udinese. I was also at that one. That one was fun, considerably less fun than the Verona game for obvious reasons, but... A lot of fun, nonetheless. Then Fiorentina beat Spezia 3-0. Dusan Vlaovic scored a hat-trick. Genoa-Venezia 0-0. Empoli beat Sassuolo with a stoppage time winner, just like Sassuolo did to Juve 2-1. Napoli beat Salernitana in the derby of Campania. That's not really a derby, but it is a derby for Salernitana, but it's not for Napoli. They they won 1-0 there. It wasn't a great game. And Milan rounded out Sunday's action by beating Roma 1-0. No, 2-1 at the Stadio Olimpico, inflicting... Jose Mourinho's first ever home defeat in Serie A. And I had to check that statistic when I saw it in Kev's player ratings. And then I had to check it again and again and again because I could not believe that that was true. But yeah, 43 home games previously, Mourinho had gone without losing a game. Bologna play Cagliari on Monday evening to round out the action. I was almost going to go to that too, but I decided to go to Parma instead. So I'll be at the Tardini for the first time this season for a bit of Serie B on Monday evening. Anyway. Before we jump into this, just a timely reminder, guys, that as some of you well know and have already signed up for, we are on Patreon over at patreon.com slash forzitalianfootball.com. Patrons get a minimum of three bonus pieces of content per week. 
and that three is very soon to become four. We will discuss that a little bit later, but let's get into the Serie A action, guys, shall we? I guess we've got to start, as we tend to, where it finished for now, at least. The Stadio Olimpico, Rome. We had Alistair McKenzie there for another FIF at the Games. Roma had 24 shots, but they lost 2-1. And that shot statistic, Vito, is a, a little bit generous to Roma because Milan very much dominated this until they went down to 10 men. Well, it, yeah, the main difference was that um, sending off to Teo Hernandez. So I think uh, that helped uh, shape the shot count at the end. Uh, Milan did have the better control of the game and... One would have thought that uh, the Rossoneri could have scored more than the two goals that they did. But then after Teo got sent off, uh, it was all Roma and uh, the Rossoneri did uh, all they can to preserve that lead. Surprisingly, uh, Cyprian Tatarusanu put off some fine saves. And uh, despite El Shirari getting that consolation goal late, unfortunately it was too little too late for the Rossoneri. So, yeah... Um, Obviously, for the Giallo Rossi, a bit disappointing for them to lose at home. But uh, until the sending off, uh, Milan were, needless to say, the better side in the match. Vito, we've said this before, but as Zlatan Ibrahimovic is 40 years old, how is he doing this? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a clear logic or even a science to it. There's just... Uh, they're just those kind of players, you know, they're once in a generation that they do things that defy belief. So although we can't expect Zlatan to do this week in, week out, uh, it's down to that old saying, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. And uh, there are times where Zlatan shows that uh, he is uh, a unique player and uh, he still can put the ball into the net. Kev, you did the ratings for us on this one. You gave Zlatan your Milan man of the match, probably the overall man of the match. He was the highest rated player on either side from you. Just how good was he this evening? Yeah, well, he he took um, he, he took control of the game. Uh, you know, he made sure that the Roma defenders were constantly occupied, even with his sort of movement not being as fast as what it what it was anymore. And it was more because it was quite an even even ish game. Uh, you know, with regards to kind of players standing out, it was more his contribution to the Milan win is why he got the he got the rating time than everybody else because he really did make that difference. He was only marginally offside when he could have put Milan two up. And that that's exactly the sort of thing And when Rafael Leao put Milan two up, it was because Ibrahimovic yeah. was na- narrow, narrowly offside. Yeah, which was a lovely bit of ingenuity, sort of, because oh. I think I think he would have still done exactly the same thing, flick it up and then head it into the net. So, um, but yeah, that 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 almost second goal for for Zlatan, where he kind of just pulls off the defender, takes a excellent sort of touch on his chest, and then instinctively places it out of the goalkeeper's reach was a shame that it didn't count but exactly what he was doing all, 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 all evening running the channels and just occupying those um, those Roma centre-backs well there was a bit of controversy about Roma's or not Roma's penalty but the, yeah but not 
yet. There was a bit of controversy about the penalty that Milan were given, and that it it seemed quite soft. There was definitely contact there, but it was uh, was it a foul? I tend to think not. But we've seen, as we discussed recently, the the bar of what is a foul is is so low at the moment, unfortunately. But I think that to focus on that would be to miss the point because Milan could well have been three 0 up by the time they got that penalty. You know, because of that Leo chance and the Ibrahimovic chance. Yeah, me, Milan were well worth probably a two goal advantage over mm. Roma, and and the goal that Roma got at the end was was largely brought about because of as Vito says, um, Tiago Hernandez getting sent off, and then it allowed Roma to to dominate the sort of the final moments. But the penalty could have gone either way. The contact with between um, Ibanez and Ibrahimovic on the ball and on man, they almost happen at exactly the same moment. Mm. So the referee has made the decision there that he feels that the contact with the contact with the man is, is is more crucial at that moment than the very sort of slight touch that he gets on the ball and calls the penalty. So I don't think you can really criticise the referee for that. Oh, I don't know. I just, I, yeah, it's not so much the referee. It's more just what football is becoming that because it's contact now, everyone's saying, oh yeah, well obviously it's a foul then. But that should, that isn't the, the case. Contact isn't necessarily a foul. That, that is going to happen if a defender is trying to, to stop a striker from scoring a goal. But Kevin, you, you mentioned there Hernandez. The, the derby's next week and there's quite an argument to be made that this is the biggest derby in terms of title influence, potentially for the best part of a decade. I mean, last season, I know that the, it briefly looked like Milan were going to do something, but Milan are a, a different animal this year, even compared to last. They're a lot more convincing than they were then. And Teo Hernandez isn't going to be playing against Inter because of that red card. And I put out a tweet saying that there's undoubted talent with this guy, but you do get the impression sometimes that he's just a bit thick. And yeah. doing what he did to get that second yellow card a week out of the derby would would suggest there's something in that. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to know that you know the derby's next week and that you're you know that, that that's what you're going to miss. But it it was very silly for him to suddenly, and there was no question once you saw it saw it in slow motion that he was intentionally rolling in front of Pellegrini to 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 stop him running through. Um, it is a position that you would argue Milan haven't got great cover. I think Balotore hasn't yet shown, you know, if he can step up and provide anywhere near the contribution that Hernandez does. Um, I'm not sure if it's. I'd argue that it's almost equally as important as last season because there was the derby that they played mm. and into one, and then they went on that run of sort of ten games where they. They they scored something like fourteen goals and they didn't concede and that that would pretty much then put the title you know it was theirs to lose from that moment on so I think it had it had a huge influence in that sense even though Milan are probably stronger this season and look what they've learned from that 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 sort of title chase if we don't call it a challenge that they had last year um, but yeah equally important I think next week Tammy Abram came off when it was still 11 against 11 and then I did think as soon as Milan went down to 10 oh if only he was still on because he's the type of player who can drag players around and make a little bit of space and with Milan a man down he might have had more of an impact but Vito I guess 
it was just a little bit too little too late. By the time Al Sharawi got the goal, it was never likely to to spark a comeback, although it almost did had the decision that was to follow gone a different way. Yeah, I suppose if uh, Roma had got uh, a penalty right at the death, that might have made a difference. But uh, there were probably points or certain aspects in open play that they probably should have done a bit better. There were times where they took some shots and it was just more or less a case of just hitting and hoping they would hit the target. And uh, there wasn't enough precision. They tried to attack the Rossoneri defence, but um, again, sometimes when you try desperately to do something, um, you get a bit more emotional than usual and sometimes rational thought goes out the window. So sometimes that compromises on certain things like shooting and knowing when to take the right shots or play the right pass. So things like that, you know, um, especially when you're trailing, you try to do things with a bit more desperation. And unfortunately, things didn't all go Roma's way in open play. As for Abraham, I think it's really a case of, um, you know, looking back in hindsight, perhaps he might have done something. And uh, with his speed and his frame, I think he could have provided some headaches. But, uh, of course, uh, not even Mourinho has a crystal ball and can see that uh, Teo would have got sent off. So uh, you just got to judge things based on the moment. Can either of you tell me why Roma weren't given a penalty? Nope. <laughs> That's the last one. I didn't really see it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Well, Vito, you saw it clearly, right? I can't work it out. I can't work it out either, Connor. But if we're to speak in generalities, I think it just shows the inconsistency with the refereeing in Italian football. It's easy for Serie A fans, especially on social media, to pull out all these different conspiracies and all that. But I think it's just a reflection that even in this day and age, with VAR available, uh, there are a lot of contradictions that we see. And we don't. Italian football doesn't have the great referees like it used to. Uh, the days of a Concetto Lobello or Pierluigi Colina seem to be distant in memory. So, yeah, I think Roma should have been given a penalty. But um, uh, unfortunately, we're, the, we're only just giving a running commentary on it. Um, we're not the decision makers. So, um, mm. yeah, I think, unfortunately, this won't be the last moment in any game in Serie A where refereeing decisions continue to baffle us. It was a comparable decision with the Dumfries incident against Juventus, but it was almost an upgrade on that one because this was quite clearly a case of uh, Kair kicking Pellegrini's foot after Pellegrini had had touched the ball past them, whereas the the Dumfries one, although I thought that was a penalty as well, was a little bit more debatable. I can't for the life of me work out why this wasn't given, particularly after the penalty that Milan were awarded. And I was just left scratching my head. And it does leave you really frustrated because we've not spent a lot of time on it. And we're not going to spend any longer on it. But look, it doesn't help things that every weekend there's some problem with refereeing in a big high profile game. Kev, I was watching this and I was listening to an interview that 
a friend of FIF, Patrick Kendrick, did during the week, and he was talking about the Milan goalkeeping situation. And obviously, Manion's out now. But do they need him? Because Tatarusano's come in and he's he's not done anything wrong. And does it just show you how well that Pioli has organised his defence and his midfield in front of that defence that the goalkeeper doesn't have to do all that much for them in Serie A? No, it's, you know, we might see this next weekend when they face Inter, though, that if, if it's a very, very tight game, that's where you really really call upon a you know a top class goalkeeper that when they have to make a crucial stop in the same way as a striker maybe has to take that that crucial chance that might be few and far between in a game but when you look at it through you know majority of most fixtures i think it is how well milan have improved defensively over the last couple of seasons um Kaya there has been brilliant. Tamori has come in and looked excellent alongside him. Um, look at the job Calabria's doing at, mm. at, at fullback, and, and we've already mentioned Hernandez. And I think when you've got when you've got that kind of almost watertight defence, then yeah, the goalkeeper isn't as important until one of those real sort of crucial moments comes in a game. Uh, and then I suppose if you've got a, a someone maybe that is your second choice goalkeeper or or, or so on. So it's maybe important at the other end of the pitch to try and get you know ahead by more than one goal at times. And Milan do look capable of doing that. So I, I don't think if I was a if I was a Milan fan, I'd be too concerned, even if uh, Magnon's going to be out for a while. No, I don't think they they should have any reason to be. We we've got to mention before we move on from this, Kaya's performance. He was lucky at the end, but he was. Incredible from start to finish this evening. Just what a defender he is in that back four. Incredible performance again from him. And it's not really a surprise, but him and Tomori together are just what a defensive pair. Really, really good. Like winding back the years, good. It's a joy to watch. And defenders aren't usually that nice to watch, but those two definitely are. We've got to go across to Verona, guys, because I was there for this where Elas beat Juve 2 1. Giovanni Simeone had the Mastini 2-0 up within 14 minutes. And it was quite a funny game, Kev, because for the first five minutes, I was thinking, why did I come here? Because nobody could pass to a teammate. There was a foul throw and it was the lowest quality five minutes of football I think I've seen in about two years since a Parma Frosinone game that finished scoreless at the Tardini in, I think, 2019. This was the worst five minutes of football I'd seen since then. But then Simeone showed up and Verona just made Juve look like absolute bums out there. And Massimiliano Allegri has now called a retiro. Following in Lazio's footsteps, Juve's players will not be allowed to leave there training centre for a week so they're going deep into Retiro there but Juve were just dreadful again and their their problems are, are quite evident in that Allegri feels it's necessary to, to call a, a Retiro Yeah I wonder um, if he got away with that 
if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is still at Juventus, but um, never mind. Uh, yeah, I think if anybody's kind of watching the highlights of this game and they see that sort of Simeone worldy, they mm. think you know it was kind of and and saw the scoreline, they think it was a smash and grab. But Verona fully deserved their victory, and they, like you say, they just. I suppose it did help with the two early goals. And probably the start of the game, like you described there, where Juve weren't on it because they seemed to just grow in confidence and completely sort of dominate them. And, it, and I I thought it was a great example of how far Juve have fallen, I suppose, but also how much of a mess they're in at the moment. Just they don't, they just don't look like that. Well, it's the Juve of old, isn't it? It's like they always look like a cohesive unit. And it almost looks as some of their transfer strategies have not kind of aligned to actually build a team. They've, they've, they've no doubt got talents to play. I wonder why they weren't able to build a team. Well, yeah, there was, uh, certain, there was certain, <laughs> certain someone on the payroll which didn't really allow them to uh, strengthen other areas necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's it's... I, they could be out of Europe. Well, you know, everybody worries about the Champions League, and obviously Juventus fans are probably worrying about when they're next going to challenge for a title. But they continue. You know, we're we're a quarter of the way through the season, and this has got no show, like signs of really showing itself to be turning around. You know, they had those those one nil wins, but really you want you want you want a team like Juve who have aspirations of challenge for the title at least put in some sides to the to the sword, not just sort of grinding it out. Um, one nil wins. And they, they might not might not even qualify for Europe next season. It's it it would be concerning um for those looking on in in Turin and um they'll be hoping that, that that week at the training ground actually mm. does some good. Vito I'll come to you. It's kind of a two part question this, but firstly is What's happening with Juve now, allowing us to, with hindsight, say, do you know what? Pirlo and Sarri didn't do all that bad a job. But then secondly, and perhaps more importantly, do you see a way out of this for Juve under Allegri? Well, for the first part, I do reckon it shows that Sarri and Pirlo didn't do as badly as it's been made out to be surely uh, hindsight does help but I think there are certain points to what both coaches did that uh, you know didn't make things as bad as they seem your uh, fans have obviously become accustomed to seeing their team dominate uh, the Italian league for the last almost 10 years so I think uh, that's why uh, those coaches who came after Allegri's first spell were held to such high standards uh, Sari won the title but was still sacked and uh, he wasn't able to implement his uh, philosophy but he still won the title that's still what they value in Turin and uh, he was still given the boot especially after being eliminated from Europe early then with Pirlo um, he tried to change the style as well but uh, again um, despite winning a Coppa Italia and the Italian Super Cup he was still given the flick as well, because he didn't fare very well in Europe. 
with Pirlo, at least uh, you could say that he was making use of some players from the Juve under-23 team and you got some idea what they could have done. And when you consider that some of the more established players in that squad weren't putting in 100% or not replicating the performances week in, week out, it wasn't such a bad idea to test these kids, not like Frabotta, Fajoli, Dragosin and a few others, just to see if they could make it as senior footballers and also challenge uh, the, the established players within that team. As for the second part, um, I th- I still think Juve's got a terrible midfield. Uh, aside from Locatelli, I think the others are absolute trash. Um, perhaps with the formation, Allegri could mask some things, like he could stick with a 4-4-1-1. For me, I would have Kane start instead of Morata, I'd have Dybala just playing behind him as that number 10 or Secunda Punta. Um, uh, Chiesa on one wing when he's back and possibly Juan Cuadrado on the right. Otherwise, you know, you can put Chiesa on the right, but who would you put on the left? That's the other thing. And I would have McKenny and um, Locatelli as the central midfielders. Uh, McKenny provides a lot of energy. He scored a lovely goal against Verona mm. and uh, he scored a nice goal. Um, in another recent league game, and he provides a lot of energy too. So I think they should be the two central midfielders. And Locatelli is a good distributor too. So I think they deserve to start. Whereas the likes of Rabio, Ramsey, Artur, and um, names and Bentancur, Bentancur. Uh, they offer close to nothing. I think maybe in other teams they could perform a role, but to have those four in that Juve squad. Um, I don't think they add anything different to what they have now and they don't complement each other well. So um, I think with those new directors like Arriva Ben and Cherubini, I think they got a lot of a lot of work on their hands to try and offload them either in January or at the end of this season. You're right to bring up that midfield again because on Saturday it was it didn't exist. Verona had Veloso and Tamedze in there and they were the only two midfielders on the pitch it seemed Paolo Dybala dropped back very often in search of possession for Juve and I felt bad for him because he was trying to do everything himself and he came so close with like a a lob from the halfway line and then he hit the crossbar he deserved the goal and he didn't deserve to lose that game but Juve were god awful Kev there's been some talk now that Allegri's two years away didn't really do him any good. And if anything, they've just led him to be left behind a little bit. He's come back and he's basically trying to do the same things that he did before. But football has changed quite a lot in the time that he's been away, particularly in in Serie A. Things have changed quite quickly. Do you think that someone like Allegri could have been left behind or is it just a, is it a bit too soon for that yet I don't really know how I feel no I think it's a bit too soon for that I think um, you're doing a disservice to probably any manager that, that leaves a job um, but particularly one like Allegri who kind of knew that there would be a, a route back into football at some stage so while he might have been watching football in other countries and sort of sampling other techniques. He might have taken his eye 
as closely off of what was going on in Syria, but I think it's I think it's more that maybe his first instinct is to go back to what he knew before because of the the relative mess that Juventus were in. Now maybe he will he will realise quite quickly now that 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 isn't working, and maybe it's time to be a little bit more uh, dynamic with trying out other things. But um, I don't think it was. Uh, necessarily a wrong decision to go back to what brought him success originally um, but I think it goes into the argument about Pirlo and Sari actually maybe not having that bad a run at Juventus because it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a, it highlights the problems going on inside the club and with the um, with the recruitment policy of the last couple of years, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think he's been left behind, and um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to point that uh, at him. Can we talk about Verona? Because since Igor Tudor took the job, they're the third best team in Serie A. Only Milan and Napoli have picked up more points than them. And bear in mind, Milan and Napoli have only dropped two points each all season so far. Vito, the job he's doing is astonishing. We praised Ivan Juric for the work he did with with Mastini last season and the season before, but Tudor's come in and, and made it look like Juric was slumming it at the Bentagodi. He's doing an incredible bit of work. One of the things about Juric's time at Veroni is that they probably didn't score enough goals for my liking. They could generate chances or they knew how to pass the ball around, but... Uh, um, they were really devoid of a scoring threat. They had to rely from uh, from deep um, or players coming from deep. Sorry, uh, under under Tudor, I think it does help with those purchases of Simeone and uh, Caprari that they're able to score more. But I think just the general overall play. Now that they do have these scoring options. Um, I think uh, Verona are going to generate more attention. And uh, I'm really starting to enjoy watching them more. I mean, I thought they were good under Juric. They had a good balance between being defensive and being attacking. But uh, now they're just an excellent attacking threat. They can press high up the park. So they stop teams from playing out from the back. And uh, uh, Simeone in particular looks like a transformed player. So at least for his sake, hopefully he keeps it up. And as I've been saying, uh, you know, in the last pod or two that I've been on, um, Caprari just plays with more consistency that I haven't seen from him. So it's a wonderful start for the Jello Blue, and they keep it up. Um, like you were pointing out last week, Connor, maybe the Jello Blue are going to be this season's surprise pack, and they might be able to challenge for a Conference League or Europa League spot because. Uh, for the attacking prowess, they're still a very balanced team. I don't even see weaknesses in the defence. And uh, Casale, one of those defenders, I think he's keeping up that tradition. That first season back in Serie A was Kumbula emerging. Last season was Lovato. Casale looks like he'll be that player. But uh, the other players who've been there, like Veloso, Lazovic, Faraoni, uh, they're still players that they can depend on. And also adding Silvestri in goal, Oh, sorry. Mm. I mean, Monty Sylvester's Monty gone, Paul. but they've ended Monty Paul. And I think Monty Paul's improved since he was at Benevento because I thought at Benevento last season he looked shaky, especially playing the ball out from the back. But I think Tudor's just said, just boot it out 
from your penalty box. Don't worry about playing it short. And I think that's worked. So, yeah, they're looking fantastic so far. And I think uh, they, they're capable of progressing even further as a team. They are. And it does sound a bit daft to say, could they be the surprise package? But they are proving <laughs> that they could be because it wouldn't be a surprise if Verona finished 10th or 11th because we've seen in recent seasons that they are good enough to do that. But they could kick on that extra gear like you were saying, Vito. And here's hoping they do because they're a really fun side to watch. And other fans aren't exactly the the nicest, but we've we've got a team there on the pitch who are well worth watching and they're worth tuning in for. I know years ago we said you should be watching Atalanta games and more recently Sassuolo games. I think if you're not watching Atalanta or Sassuolo by now, you're a lost cause, but I don't know. Maybe for political reasons, you might be swayed in the direction of Verona, but you should watch Verona, whatever your political leaning is. They're, they're well worth it. They're a nice watch, and who knows how much longer this is going to continue for, but it's worth tuning in for while it's going on. Kev, of the last 10 goals I've seen in, in the flesh, how many goal scorers do you reckon were Italian? Oh, it's going to be something like one, because I'm not willing to go as low as zero. Okay, Vito, of the last 10 goal scorers I've seen in the flesh, how many were Italian? Um, Two. Okay, second question. Of that same group of people, how many were European? Uh, I'll go one again. Okay. Because actually that would make sense, because if they were Italian, they'd have to be European, so there's no point in me going. Well, it couldn't be fewer. No, it couldn't be fewer. No. <clears throat> um, I'll go three. <laughs> I'm going to list you in order, starting with the most recent working back of the nationalities of the last 10 goal scorers I've seen in the flesh. Argentinian, Argentinian, American, Argentinian, 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 Swedish. And then if you want to go back to the beginning of last weekend, just to include the goal scorers of the same game, we've got a French Algerian and a Gambian in there so no italian goal scorers is, is the answer to your question it's a weird thing to bring up i realized but dov asked me while i was at the stadio meazza today so i thought i'll ask the lads on the pod i was shocked but of those 10 goals six of them were scored by giovanni simeone and the other two were scored by joaquin correa so it's not like there's been loads of different argentinians banging them in it's just those guys the european zlatan ibrahimovic obviously Obviously, against um, who was it against Bologna last weekend? But there you go. Anyway, that'll do. I think. I think we can move on to the next game, which is going to be. I can't remember what we agreed. I think we said Inter, didn't we? So let's go there because I, I was at the Miata this afternoon for the the lunch match, the the lunch match, as they like to call it, the twelve thirty kickoff, as as normal people would probably call it. Um, Inter beat Udinese 2-0 Udinese started not well but better than Inter did but then Inter settled and Barella kind of took over Kev and finally after an hour of doing absolutely nothing Joaquin Correa scored and then 8 minutes later he scored again and that was him done for the day Yeah well you would maybe argue that um, Inzaghi's probably happy with that contribution as it brought the three points Um but I think it's 
it's very important because of them wanting to keep pace with Milan, particularly ahead of next week's derby. Um, they are having some teething problems under the new coach. Um, so maybe you will get the odd game that kind of starts starts like that. And uh, if you've got somebody like Barella to call upon to kind of uh, bring life into the team and drag them to victory with the aid of Correa's goals, then they're in a not too bad situation at the moment. No, they are not in a in a too bad situation at the moment. I <laughs> don't know if that made any sense, to be honest with you. Probably not, but there you go. Vito, Alison McKenzie pointed out on Twitter that this is just what Joaquin Correa does. He has moments of brilliance, like on that first goal where he picked the ball up on the left, drifted in and buried it at the near post, but then does nothing for two or three weeks. And that's been the story of his Serie A career so far. And it's been seen in microcosm since he joined Inter in the summer. It's a it's a great shame, and also I think for the Nerazzurri fans, it will be a frustration as well. Uh, after what he did against uh, Verona in the earlier rounds, and then what he's done against Udinese, it shows that's you know he's capable of doing some wonderful things on the ball and really turning a game around. But uh, that's the letdown with these. Uh, mercurial talents that you can't really predict when they're going to turn up. And uh, the ones who probably get more frustrated than the fans are the coaches because they don't know how to sort of guide them or tell them to produce these performances consistently. Sometimes it's a case of you just got to hope they turn up. And if if it's a case that Correa's just got to change his mindset or – his uh, approach leading up to games and then one stepping onto the pitch. Um, I think if he's more consistent, uh, Inter can really, really be a dangerous threat once again. And Correa, um, not only will it be a joy to watch for fans and neutrals alike, but uh, uh, I think he'd be something, a player that's worthy of being amongst the top in the league and probably a player who can also push for more time with the Argentinian national team, considering they've got an abundance of attacking options as it is. I can't emphasise enough how little he did for an hour, though. It got to the point where I forgot he was playing, because when we got there and the team sheets came out, I was quite happy to see him on it, because he's a player, purely for geographical reasons more than anything else, that I've not seen in the flesh too often, because, well, I live in the north, and I go to matches in the north, so I only ever see Lazio playing away. And very often when they're up here, I'm at another game anyway. And I was really looking forward to seeing what he was about. And then he did. I mean, I, I don't know if you could keep count of how many times he touched the ball. Or to be honest, if he touched the ball for the first hour that he was on the pitch. Because if he did, he didn't do anything with it. And... Then all of a sudden, he gets the ball out on the left and just does that madness. And it was a great goal. And then he gets another one. You think, where have you been? What have you been doing for the rest of this game that you've just been waiting to do that? Something so good cannot come after an hour of nothing. It was frustrating. But being here at the stadium was amazing. It was my first time back to the San Zero since that Atalanta game. We all know what happened after that. 
with with the spread of COVID in Bergamo in northern Italy and then the rest of Europe and, and the world. But it, oh, I know I said this about going to the Dalaro last week, but the San Siro is the best stadium in the world. And I've not been to every stadium in the world, but I cannot comprehend or begin to imagine how any stadium could be better than that one. Kev, you've been to a lot more stadiums than most people. You've got to say, the San Siro is different, isn't it? The San Siro is wonderful from an architectural aspect, certainly. Um, I would argue that there's been better stadiums for atmosphere, and mm. that's taken into account the, the derby. I've, I've been to a Milan derby. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating place, and um, be sad to lose it if we do actually eventually lose it, depending on what happens with <laughs> stadiums being signed off or them changing. We're not losing it. It's Italian paperwork. It's going to be there until we die. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And Gav, judging by are you, all right there? Yeah, just give me a thumbs up. Yeah, all good. Just a little uh, tickly cough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so I was a little bit, I don't know if emotional is the right word. It's definitely the right word in a, in in Italian, <laughs> in English. I'm not quite sure it is. But so I, I had the idea recently about a, a new podcast that we could introduce, right? And just taking advantage of the fact that we're in Italy, we're at games and we're at stadiums every week. It, Basically, I've stolen the idea from the Football Rambles at the match series, but it's going to be a similar sort of thing. So it won't be every week, but every so often we'll do a podcast from from the stadiums, whether it's me or Alistair or Alessandro or Ben or whoever we've got at a game any given weekend, just doing a, a few bits and bringing you the sounds of the stadium, not just us talking on monologues. It's It's going to be mostly stuff from inside the stadium that you can't get anywhere else. But then we will obviously talk you through what what's happening as well. And when possible, for example, Kev, when you're out here, we can have a little bit of a chat just for two minutes in, in the pod and things like that. And maybe I'll get the chance to speak to some other journalists while we're, while we're knocking about in the, in the press areas as well and some fans, who knows. But we're going to release the first episode this week anyway. So do do come back probably on Wednesday or Thursday and check your usual podcast providing platforms for that. Then going forward, it will be on Patreon. We might do the first couple of episodes for free, but then it will be making the shift over there. So if you like it, let us know. Head over to patreon.com slash forzaitalianfootball.com and you'll get it before everyone else and you'll get it sent straight into your email box, your email inbox rather. But if you don't like it or if you do like it, please do let us know your thoughts because it's something completely new. So I would be quite keen to to get some feedback. It was a bit uh, uh, like just winged today. So it, there could be a little bit more structure to it going forward. So either way, guys, get at us on, at Serie IFFC on Twitter. I'm at Conjay Clancy. Get in touch. Let us know what you think about it once you've heard it. And yeah, any other content, we'll, we'll be keen to hear what you guys want. We will be adding something else to Patreon as well as these, which is still to be confirmed, but it'll be coming at some point in November. So there's more stuff to come there. Udinese are rubbish. The sooner the better they get relegated, but it's never going to happen, is it? I'm just, Vito, I know you're on board. You wrote about them 
at the the second half of your post Atalanta piece, you, you basically want them gone as well, don't you? Oh, absolutely. They're <laughs> the most boring team at the moment, honestly. Um, I'm just glad I only just watched the highlights of this game because after the game against uh, Atalanta, I was just confirmed, you know, that that would put me to sleep. So I didn't think it was worthwhile watching the full 90 minutes. And just in general, no redeeming features whatsoever. Nothing. Um, you know, even, hey, okay, Allegri's Juve, they got big stars and all that. Or they had big stars. So you got a few players like Dybala who can turn the game around. Chiesa when he's fit. Udinese. Di Natale retired years ago. The Paul's been sold. Musso's at Atalanta. I mean, who who's worth watching that's worth caring about? Nobody. Uh, I just hope the teams below them actually get their act together and start climbing the table. We can only hope. Let's... Have you just compared Juventus to being almost as pointless as you've known Juventus <laughs> those players? That's a good. That's a good shout. That that's not going to get any disgruntled voices coming our direction. Uh, but it's interesting or coincidental that the black and white teams, the Bianconeri. They're the most boring ones in the league. You know, there's got to be a theme there somewhere. Well, at least at least Juventus are becoming comical because of how badly they're playing. So, uh, <laughs> they give us a little bit of excitement, Theo. Yeah, true. Focus on the positive, guys. Focus on the positives. Um, although with the Udinese, I really, I really don't think there are that many. It's a nightmare to get to. I don't like the stadium. The pre- ah, ah, I found the positives. The press facilities at the Dacia Arena are phenomenal, like otherworldly. And the buffet spread is glorious as well. But most of all, the seats in their press conference room and just the layout of the press. It's like an open planned media center. It's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal, but it's the only good thing about Udinese, unfortunately. So, yeah, Vito, they are. They're leather seats, but each seat in... So it's laid out like a a cinema, right? A a press conference room. But each of the seats in it is a big leather thing with (laughs) armrests on both sides. It's mad. Absolutely mad. So... If you're ever in Udine, either of you, and you need accreditation, guys, I'd, I'd recommend trying to get to the Dacia Arena. We'll, we'll send it off. We'll sort you out. We'll get you in. And you'll, you'll have a nice feed. But just don't do it in December like I did and get rained on and have the whole experience ruined because it's cold and wet and you don't have a change of clothes at the stadium because, well, why would you? But <laughs> let's move swiftly on. Vito, you watched and covered Atalanta 2, Lazio 2 for us. I unfortunately only got to see the highlights of this, but let me tell you, oh, I let out a noise at the Bentagodi when I saw that Daron had scored a stoppage type equaliser against Lazio of all teams. But how did this one go? Well, it was another dramatic game between the two teams. I think in other matches we've seen either more dramatic games or the technical quality would have been a lot better, but... I think uh, there was still enough memorable moments for this one to go down in uh, history. I thought Lazio, despite playing on the counter-attack, would have been able to hold on. Pedro played a very good game. Immobile was good as well. Cataldi 
looks more settled in the register role than uh, uh, Lucas Slaver playing as a holding midfielder. So I think there are some positives there. But Atalanta, despite their injuries, they battled as much as they could, try to play their game. Zapata, I thought, played well. He scored a lovely goal. But um, just Martin Darun, out of all people, and he's been playing in defence for the last few games. He comes up with that goal. Just talk about unlikely goal scorers or unsung heroes. I think that was a great example of that. And the way he struck the ball, just, you know, not one with great power or amazing technique, but just to place it like he did was more than good enough. And uh, what a dramatic way to get a draw. And uh, he even uh, posted it on Twitter with his video there, lapping it up. And uh, Darun's quite a character to follow on Twitter oh. as well. So I think uh, it was great to see him out of all people make it 2-2. He's the best person in Serie A. Hands down, the best person in Serie A. I love him. I love him. I love him. <sighs> Martin Daron. What a man. And I'm not having that. You playing down the technique on that finish, Vito. The ball's bouncing up off the ground. And he manages to put it into the bottom corner. Like that was beautiful. Yeah, mate. Yeah, in hindsight, probably the choice of words went right. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just the, the nonchalance of it, I suppose. Mm. Maybe I'm thinking of some of the goals he scored in the Coppa Italia. I think it was a three-all draw against Fiorentina, oh. and he just smacked that volley. Maybe because I thought with that one, that for technique and power, that was an amazing goal. Like this one was something different. But I think it's really the timing and the drama that makes this particular goal against Lazio unique in its own right. He's a really weird one because he's not technically brilliant by the standards of that Atalanta team. No. <laughs> but he tends to score really nice goals. So there was that goal against Fiorentina where he nearly ripped the net off the posts in Florence. There's this goal against Lazio. And he scored a goal against Brescia last season where he hit it with the outside of his foot and it whipped incredibly into the into the far corner. Not last season, the season before. Whenever whenever those guys were up in, in Serie A and not just <laughs> slumming it in Serie B. But yeah, it's a lovely goal that time as well. But moving so, oh, no, before we move on, we've got to say uh, the Atalanta, uh, a section of the Atalanta fans were idiots throwing stuff at Pepe Reina. Obviously, don't throw things at people, guys, morons. Anyway, Dusan Vlaovic, Vito. No, not Vito. Kev, Vito, you can take a rest. Kev, Dusan Vlaovic scored a hat-trick. Fiorentina beat Spezia 3-0. Um, he's just banging them in, despite all the question marks hanging over his, his future. Yeah, well, if he wants to get a move or even if he wants to remain in Fiorentina, the goals will continue the loving he's got with the fans. And uh, if not, they will bring probably more potential uh, suitors to the table when they eventually uh, do look to wrestle him away from Fiorentina. But it's interesting because he he took the... um, Took the penalty, didn't he? Where last week there were reports that he felt that he wasn't in the right frame of mind to take the penalty, so Baragi um, stepped up and took it. And if he'd done the same this week, then he would have missed out on a hat trick. But um, he looks like a really interesting choice for someone this this summer because it does look as though he's going to move away, and it'll be a real shame if he leaves um, if he leaves Italy which obviously is always an option. 
uh, taking a bit of the attention away from uh, Vlahovic. I thought the build-up for the second goal he scored was lovely. Um, the back heel from Saponara to find uh, Odriet Zola to assist Vlahovic for that goal. I just thought it was a wonderful team goal. Great understanding between the three. But the the audacity and the vision for Saponara to play that back heel, that was absolutely delightful. And uh, Saponara, he's a guy that's really found like a like a second life under Vincenzo Italiano, firstly at Spezia and then back at Fiorentina. So um, I thought that particular contribution was just absolutely superb. Yeah, I think I think Vlavic will get all the um, attention for his hat trick, but actually both the goals he finished off in open play were lovely, like team moves. And you you have seen, you know, there's an obvious improvement there in Fiorentina. Um, so hopefully they can actually have a good stab at trying to qualify for Europe this year under Italiano because it's about time they did a little bit more than just uh, bobbing around mid-table. You would expect them to. And Italiano, I was looking at their 11 as well. It is a stronger 11 than I've seen from them in a few years. And they've got a better coach than they've had for quite a long time there as well. Vito, Torino beat Samp 3-0. I'm sorry to come for you to you for this, but I know Kev didn't see it. What happened? It was uh, dom. <clears throat> pardon me. It was just complete domination from the Granata. I think formation-wise, Sampdoria tried to match them that way, so they tried to mirror them. But it was a game plan that failed miserably. And uh, Torino were well worth the three points. The former Sampdoria boys, Carolinetti and Dennis Pratt, had fantastic games. But the other players uh, made fantastic contributions too. Gabbiadini was the only sump player that tested Milinkovic Savic in goal. And uh, probably Juric and uh, the rest of the Torino faithful will will feel that uh, they should have won by more. And then uh, the interesting thing, Belotti back from injury and uh, scoring his 100th Serie A goal, um, it seems that his future at Torino is coming to an end, that his time is going to end soon. But I think if he's fully fit and while he's playing under Juric, I think he's able to regain his scoring touch. And uh, I think they're another team that are really going to be fun for the neutrals to watch. You would expect so. It's nice to see Belotti getting that milestone because he's been an excellent player in Serie A for quite a few years now. Kev, Napoli scraped past Salernitana 1-0. Yeah, it's, it's well, there's another game we'll get on to, but this is one where we didn't bother think, thinking that it was worth talking about on the uh, the preview pod because we kind of expected Napoli to smash them. But I suppose Salernitana being at home, they, you know, held firm for as long as they could. There were a couple of red cars that probably made the game a little bit more open and Nap- <laughs> Napoli, when they were celebrating that winner, um you know, they showed all the signs that they knew how important it is to sort of get points off of those newly promoted sides or sides in the bottom half of the table because they could be crucial come the end of the season. But they'll probably just be happy to get through it because it wasn't a great uh, overall performance from them. Mm. Vito Ampoli beat Sassuolo 2-1. Sassuolo falling victim to something that had given them so much joy in midweek in a, in a stoppage time winner. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. It's just like a complete reversal of what happened to the midweek against Juventus. 
They were on such a high after achieving such a historical result. And then uh, Empoli, out of all teams, send them crushing back to earth. Uh, as for Empoli, I think it shows that uh, the they're showing that they're able to stay in Serie A. They're capable of getting results against some decent opponents. So perhaps uh, they'll be able to keep on producing those performances from time to time and get the necessary results to avoid the drop. Genoa, Venezia finished nil-nil, but life's too short, so we're not going to talk about that. Bologna play Cagliari on Monday evening to, to round out the action. Like I said, um, <laughs> life's too short sometimes. I was going to go to Bologna for that one, but just because... I knew I wouldn't have to go and think about it all that much for the for the pot or for a report or anything. But then I realised Parma were playing at home and they're playing at home three hours earlier. <laughs> and that was just a much more convenient game to get to. So heading to the Tardini for the first time this season, they've been obviously kept in the loop with, with what's going on at Parma. I speak to a lot of people at that club on a near daily basis here. So intrigued to see how they get on. Tomorrow they got a win last time out against Chitarella away from home. Buffon saved the penalty and then they conceded another penalty, but they hung on to win 2-1 in that one. But they've been having a bit of a horrid time on the pitch this season and they're falling a long way short of what they would have expected to do. But the, the atmosphere within the club is still one of great optimism and positivity. So it's an interesting one because... The atmosphere surrounding the club and what's happening on the inside are, are very different things. So I'm intrigued to see how they fare against Vicenza and hopefully they could put a bit of a run together because I would very much love to see Parma get back in Serie A and I know a lot of our listeners would also be keen to see them back in the Italian top tier because they are quite a nice side. As Vito has helpfully pointed out in the chat, Vicenza are not the strongest team, but uh, Vito used a more explicit word than that, let's just say. Um, one more reminder, patreon.com slash football for regular bonus podcasts throughout the week and a newsletter as well. There was no newsletter last week because there was an extra free podcast for patrons, so that was the third post. But like I said... Three is soon to become four and quite possibly five bonus pieces of content a week. We will be releasing the At The Match Yet To Be Named series this week as well. So keep an eye out and your ears out for that. Until we next speak, which will be a Champions League review pod and then whatever else, the Serie A review pod and that other pod and the newsletter there's plenty to come so patreon.com slash forward italian football.com kev say goodbye goodbye everybody are you feeling better yeah <laughs> just a tickly cough that's all v- no i was referring to the other thing vito say goodbye goodbye <laughs> it's goodbye from me i wonder what's wrong with kev i'll speak to you soon Yeah.